In this episode of Great Practices, we're talking with Henry Liebling, trainer, consultant, coach, and owner of lessdriving.org and author of the book, How to Achieve Virtual Meeting Effectiveness. Because let's face it, virtual meetings are here to stay, and that's not a bad thing as long as they're done in the right way. So how can we make the best of this useful technology for our PMOs? Well, stay tuned as we discuss steps that can be taken pre, during, and post-meeting, the complementary roles of facilitator, producer, and co-facilitator, and how to convert the real world into digital, as well as learn from some mistakes that others have made. So let's get right into this episode of Great Practices. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Well, welcome to this month's episode of Great Practices. And I recently had gone through a three-day-long uh, very intensive pro-sci training and certification for uh, change management. And this was three days on Zoom. This was not your regular 30 to 60 minute Zoom meeting, but this was three days long, rigorous course with 16 other people. And I have to say the facilitator and the co-facilitator did a fantastic job. So it made me uh, wonder what are some of the ways that we could take some of those great practices uh, from these day-long sessions that keep people engaged and keep people motivated and keep people interested in what the topic is and how can we apply that certainly within a PMO? Because there's going to be longer sessions when it comes to meetings for PMOs, right? There's going to be the uh, planning sessions, you know, usually that's not going to be done in 30 to 60 minutes can take four hours, can take an entire day, may span multiple days. And the reality is in the environment that we are right now, virtual meetings and virtual planning sessions, virtual training sessions, things that take much longer than just a regular stand-up meeting or just a regular update are going to be important to figure out how to do that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So our guest that's going to help us with some of these great practices is Henry Liebling. And he is going to uh, uncover some of these great practices when it comes to virtual meetings. And uh, Henry's been doing virtual before virtual was even cool. So he's got a lot of experience in this area. So Henry, we'd like to welcome you to uh, this episode today. And you want to kind of uh, introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about what you do. Thank you, Chris. So a little bit about myself. I'm a consultant, trainer, and coach on virtual meetings. I'm branded as lessdriving.org on the website, and I mostly work with um, companies and nonprofits, although I've written uh, books and articles that are geared to education, literacy, even how can we use this in rural areas, urban areas, and healthcare. I've used this with AT&T, IBM Software Group, Nokia Telecommunications, and um, I'll have a couple examples of this a little later on. Now, Henry, let me ask you this, because um, there's you've got a process for the way that you set up your meetings, right? Kind of like a pre-meeting checklist, a during the meeting, and then kind of a follow-up. So 
what are some of the what are some of the pieces that you use when it comes to the pre-meeting? What are some of the thoughts that you have that need to be done to make the the meeting successful, regardless whether it's online or in person? So I definitely act on this notion of pre-meeting tasks, the during the meeting tasks, and then the after the meeting tasks. So let me address your question, uh, Chris, regarding um, some of the structure or, or ways to approach the before. It's interesting. I work with a buddy in North Carolina. We have two-person meetings. We never do this because we're talking two or three times a week. We're, right. we're, we're not doing the pre-stuff. Right. But then it's interesting. I have a new associate in Kansas City, and we just a two-person meeting. And before we start that meeting, either through email or you know the first few minutes, we got on the same page as the purpose. What is the purpose? What is the why? Why the heck are we meeting? Yeah. But as you consider more complex meetings, uh, you mentioned a half day, one day, two day, and your your experience with this three day experience. I've, I've come up with a couple things. First, sure. go back to the purpose and objectives of the meeting. This is the step for planning, organizing, identifying tasks, and really identifying responsibilities. How are we going to go from, you know, oh, we're going to have a two-day, you know, conference to actually making it really work well and, yeah. and be truly wonderful. Second, look at your objectives. You know, what outcomes are you looking for? Are you looking for ideas? Are you looking for... Uh, consensus? Are you looking for specific decisions? Uh, those are actually, some people don't differentiate those outcomes and, and that affects your planning process. So, you know, even another uh, objective, gee, are, am I looking for high involvement, high engagement, or gee, are, the meeting really doesn't allow too much time to do that. I'm just going to kind of push information. We'll pick up the engagement in the next meeting. I think we need to get clear as to, um, and you know, we would often do this in a, in a traditional in-person meeting. We really need to do this with virtual meetings. It's, it's almost like visualizing in your mind how it's going to unfold. Yeah, and I think, I think to your point there, I think if you've got that purpose and objective in mind, that will help craft how the virtual meeting will be structured, right? I mean, it's like, are you going to need to have breakout rooms? Are you going to have to have you know, maybe some, you know, intro music ahead of time. Are you going to have to, you know, provide breaks for people throughout the day? Whatever that ends up looking like, a lot of that is going to be based upon what the purpose and objective of the meeting is. So I think that's, I think that's really key right. Right. when it comes right. to even thinking through these virtual meetings. And let me pick up from that, because those are really all good points. But for me, the, uh, another thing to consider in the pre is really, you know, that notion of know your audience. Yeah. You know, what content do they know uh, before they come in that's based on your objectives? Um, you know, what do they know about the purpose and objectives and the content, especially the content? And what's yeah. their experience with video conferencing? Another one you really need to look at, and this is very central to this presentation, is what technology are you using? And I'm going to be, <laughs> Chris, kind of repetitive about this, that we really need to crawl into the technology and really understand its full capabilities. So once we understand its full capabilities, we can turn loose our creativity on how do we use that to have a great meeting. Yeah. And then five, where are the people located? You know, is everyone at a home office? Are you connecting five or 10 people in a conference room with people who are at home? 
So these are some preliminary questions you would do in, the, in terms of kind of setting up um, the other, other kinds of things. And, and I look at some of these questions as the what. What are we trying to accomplish? Then we move into the how. Right. The how is knowing um, some of your objectives. And the how is how do we use this wonderful software to achieve our goals? And, we do- and, and, and that's, you know, and that's a, that's an interesting thing there because even all of that prep work, right? What are your thoughts on doing like a dry run or practicing ahead of time? Because I think it always looks good on paper, but the reality is it always ends up very different. So what are your thoughts on doing a dry run ahead of time? I, I absolutely know that this is vital, important, necessary, especially under a couple conditions. One, it's going to be a four-hour meeting, a day-long meeting. It could be a four-hour meeting over the course of two days. I mean, an eight-hour meeting over the course of two days. There's, there's complexity on the content. There's complexity because you have a lot of speakers or, or it's like there's more moving pieces. You know, another thing, maybe you have a SME who comes in for one or two hours. We've got to make sure that person, you know, doesn't call you at the last minute and say, where's the link? Uh, my audio is not working. We, we, right. I think we can prevent problems. I'm also a believer that when, when we do this kind of uh, work, um, we have a check. We have to we use checklists, you know, keep us on track. Yeah. And I, th- I think I think that checklist is a great idea. It, maybe it's a great practice <laughs> is, you know, to to have that checklist to to just make sure that, you know, all the T's are crossed and the eyes are dotted because it's not something we may do on a regular basis to do like a larger session. So just kind of making sure that all of these, um, you know, components and everything is, is just so uh, when when we're ready to start this. When I was doing checklists, I would draw from other you know, other experiences. Then I hop in consulting a new client and I would hand out, you know, this was like in person or more or less my checklist. And people would look at it and it would be good. Yeah. But, but I've changed that. Um, I want to build the checklist in a kind of a collaborative fashion because I think it gets people a, a bigger buy-in. And then, of course, I'm contributing. So if I think there's things that are not being brought up, I can bring them up. But I, I, think, I think it's a different process when the people who kind of own the responsibility are identifying and, and making the checklist. One one thing uh, is the role of maybe a producer or the role of a co-facilitator. Let's talk about maybe a, a producer role when it comes to a virtual session. What does that look like? Uh, how would you define what a producer would do? A producer oftentimes is handling the email invitations. They're getting videos and materials. We even used a Harvard business case once. How do we get these into a learning management system or a content management system? And, and you know, we need to test that. You know, can participants, yeah. you, know, you know, hit it easily? Do they have the right links? Sometimes the producer is interfacing with IT or the people who own the um, video conference software. Yeah. Um, perhaps the producer is creating the poll questions. Some organizations may say the producer really needs to get pretty detailed and almost like a SME on the software. If that's right. the case, they can help with poll questions. And then are you going to record the meeting? You know, and oftentimes the producers in, involved with that. Yeah. So it really just sounds like the producer just kind of makes sure that everything runs smoothly. 
right? And according to plan and people are showing up where they need to and the technology is working and all the follow-up activity is, is uh, done afterwards. So um, yeah, just a very important role when it comes to a larger, you know, certainly a larger session or a larger meeting. So let's move away from the pre-component. So, you know, obviously we could see the preparation work, you identified the purpose and the objective and, you know, the participants and the audience, and that's all great practices regardless of what type of meeting. Let's talk about during, uh, during the actual session. What are, what are some of your suggestions to make uh, a virtual meeting run smoothly? Well, I, I think a little bit like architecture and design. So for me, the pre-work, the before the meeting, you've created the architecture and design. So now you're into the meeting and yep. now you need to execute. Now, yep. now you, you know, hopefully not waver too much, although perhaps you do at times because we need to be flexible. So, so some of the during components are, uh, you know, the meeting facilitator is guiding the meeting. It's based on the agenda. It's based on the experience and the design. Are you showing slides? Are you using screen sharing? Are you launching polls? Are you putting people into uh, breakout rooms? So in a sense, the design and then the practice sets you up as a meeting leader or facilitator yeah. to, to implement, to execute. And, and of course, one issue is that I've seen is the designers can be brilliant at a design, but then there's a gap between the person who's facilitating and even co-facilitating where they say, Craig, we're doing all this. I don't know how to do it. I haven't done it in six months. So now we get into the notion of, of practice ahead of time or coaching ahead of time. The, the key is we want that person, the, the facilitator to be confident and comfortable to do these things. And sometimes there's a gap between the design and the implementation. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point because you know maybe the the architecture built or planned for this phenomenal building or this phenomenal house, but it's physically impossible to build it, right? So you know that's that's kind of that could be the same trap or the same um, danger that could occur. You know, like the the meeting could be architected to be this, but it physically cannot be done. So I love the idea of just practicing. It almost sounds like a script. You know, almost need a script, right? We're kind of writing a play. You know, you mentioned earlier when you kicked this off of that three-day wonderful session you went on. I'm thinking yeah. they had a great design. They had a great architecture. And the people who facilitated that, they were comfortable, confident. They could almost see it in their mind how it was going to unfold. And they knew how to use what tool when. And there, there was congruence between the design and implementation. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly the way it went down. And, and, you know, kind of thinking back on that, I guarantee they had, they had that in place then. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, about having a co-facilitator in yeah. the meeting? To yeah, kind absolutely. Of grease this all along. So, yeah. so if, if you have more or less, quote unquote, a lot of people in a meeting, and I, want, I don't want to define what a lot is, but if you're using chats a lot, the co-facilitator can keep track of those chats, sometimes even assembling them into categories, if, if that's part of the design. I like you know, that. So there could be 50 chats, 10 chats. So they do a quick and dirty, you know, assembling those, kind of like how we would do an in-person meeting on a flip chart. Yeah. You know, we move things around. Um, the co-facilitator, if you have busy slides, or you want to emphasize keywords or key concepts, the, the co-facilitator can use those markup or annotation tools. You know, 
highlighter, squares, circles, arrows, because we want to draw attention to the visual aspect of the meeting, not just the, the you know, the audio aspect. Yeah. Um, there's a visual emphasis. Sometimes the co-facilitator teaches some content. Um, certainly they can participate in debriefing polling questions, but those kinds of things. And that, and so, so it is, it's like, there's a, there's a, obviously a presenter role, right? There's a producer role, which will be the, what we just talked about earlier. And then, you know, and that could almost be the same person, right? I mean, cause that's almost like two different work streams there, but then the co-facilitator that is in parallel, that's two different people that absolutely will be joined at the hip during the session. So I think that's, yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. I love that idea too, about just categorizing the chats that come in because themes will develop, right? When they come in through that flow right there and just being able to just kind of attack them together, you've got to have somebody behind the scenes doing that and pulling that so, together. So let me, let me tell you how this can kind of give you some synergy. So for example, your design says, let's get ideas in the chat. Yeah. You give that, you give the co-facilitator that job, but behind the scenes, that co-facilitator is building some poll questions. They're taking right. those categories right. and, and they're building those, you know, those poll questions. And it is it's kind of time, maybe it's a little informal, now with the facilitator. And they they say, well, let's launch a poll to see how you view the priorities. We got about 20 ideas yeah. in the chat. Boom, yeah. you go right into, you go from gathering information to setting priorities. It, it's Love a very it. cool, you know, we would do that in a face-to-face -face meeting. You're just, you're just diving deeper into the data and getting a little more nuanced about it, right? About, and it keeps people engaged. I think that's the biggest thing too, is, you know, again, going through that three-day online training experience, it was polls, it was annotations, it was breakout rooms, it was questions, it was, it was all of these things. It was picking up a piece of paper and writing out that we had on our desk that they had sent ahead of time. So all of these things, I think, really add to the mix there. So you like the variety of the tools yes, as, part of, as part of the process. Yep. And, and I think that's key, Chris, is not just, and, and, and that's the world we're in now. We, the, the, this, my little pitch here is, the software has gotten so good, it kind of behooves us to, to learn how to take advantage of it. Yep. And that will take a little bit of discovery on our part and a little time, but you are exactly right. It is the variety that keeps people engaged. So um, that's, that's a real good point right there. So we've got the pre-meeting done, all the work done there. We've actually gone through the meeting. We've had a successful meeting. We now come to the after the meeting. What are some of the pieces that uh, would be good to tie to wrap this up after the meeting. You know, it could be done by the uh, presenter or facilitator. Uh, some of this could be done by the uh, by the co-facilitator. But for example, if someone has taken meeting notes, you know, what's the method to distribute that? Um, is there content that was promised to send out after the meeting? So you have a process to to do that after the meeting. During the meeting, there might have been a discussion that we need another session just to review it, we, you know, there's still some needs for clarification. And yeah. oftentimes that's, that's, that's an optional meeting, it's a volunteer, it's not mandatory. So that could be a follow-up. So, so it's things of that nature. Yeah, and I think, I think the, the digital tools make it that much easier to do that follow-up stuff, right? Because I mean, you could just throw it into the chat, you could throw the notes into the chat right after, you could set up the meetings right after, whatever it needs to be in order to get that done. Um, that's a good know, point. You know, we could be, 
copy pasting the chats into a Word doc, whether you organize it or not may depend on what you're trying to do, but at least you're sharing the information. And then, you know, if you have a meeting a week later, two weeks later, they, they have a Word document and maybe the pre-work is you ask people to spend 10 or 15 minutes to review the chats before the next meeting. And now we have continuity of, of, of engagement, continuity yeah. of learning, continuity of, of being ready, ready to yeah. act in the next meeting. Yeah, and it's just, again, so much easier because it's real time, it's digital, and it's just that Definitely. much more effective. So, All right, well, that's good. Well, we, we, we rounded up the pre, the during, and the post meeting. Now, let's, let's maybe talk about um, some ideas around very specific types of meetings, right? So let's say we have a virtual planning session, and that will take four to eight hours. Maybe it's an all-day, you know, maybe it's an all-day thing. What are, your, what are your, some of the suggestions to make that work? Well, I have a few, uh, and Chris, and this is important. Uh, it's a good question. Um, so I would handle it this way. You know, if, if I was responsible for doing that, I'd get two or three or four people together, and we write out what an in-person meeting might look like. Almost like we start with an in-person meeting. You know, we do the purpose and objectives, the why, those kinds of things, some of the activities. And we, we say, well, we're real familiar doing this in the traditional way. Well, now we're converting that to the, you know, to Zoom or WebEx or the new tools. So we get, we get used to the, we, the people need to know the capabilities, but now we can go into like a conversion process of, of we have a design and, yeah. and how do we convert it in, in, in certainly at a high level. And so now you get into the process of converting um, yeah. in terms of, of, more or less, you know the you know the what. So now we do the how, and and you know there's another thing people can do. Uh, perhaps there's people in the company or your organization that have been doing virtual planning sessions, and and perhaps it would be really good to contact them. What are their insights? What did they learn? Do's and don'ts, and, and some of that. But I, I think you need to do more than just you doing it alone. I think you need a few people involved in that, especially if it's a four or eight or 16 hour meeting. And I, and that, and that is a really good point is you take, you take what is going on in the real world. Right. And then you just, I love that idea. You just, you map it to the virtual world. Right. So, and I, and I'll, I'm reflecting back on again, the three days that I just went through, um, you know, like when you set up a conference or a training you walk in the morning and they've got coffee and they've got, you know, whatever, but they've also they got music playing in the background, just kind of that type of thing going. It just was very warm and inviting. They did the exact same thing. It was like, you know, you could network a little bit, you could hang out. They'd have music going in the very beginning. They'd have a countdown clock. So you kind of knew when everything was going to start and then you just ease right in. And then they even engaged with the audience as far as uh, like, asking trivia from each person. And then they would sprinkle this trivia out over the next couple of days just to keep people engaged. So it was like all of that kind of stuff would have happened in the real world. But now that it's online, I love the idea that you, you, you convert, okay, we would have done that here in the real world. And now we do it over here in this virtual world. And, you know, most of the stuff will translate, you know, maybe you won't get the donuts or something like that, but I would say most of the stuff will translate over. So Again, I love the idea of just having to plan and, and, and orchestrate what that's going to look like ahead of time. So sometimes when, when you know, again, traditional meeting, uh, not everybody knows each other. 
uh, either people volunteer or they go around and, you know, it's like, tell something about us. Yeah. You know, some do the where you were born or things like that. Yeah. Um, some people do hobbies. You know, yeah. what are your hobbies? That's a good way to engage people and begin socialization. Well, I did a meeting with a, with a company out of Australia and I asked people before the meeting and through the contact there to send a picture of their hobby. So people hmm. were, were sending in pictures of, of, of climbing mountains, swimming with their family in a park, roller skating, you know, all those things, playing a sport. And then I, as the facilitator, I had grabbed those images and put them into a PowerPoint and I was presenting them out. And the other people had not seen the pictures. Yeah. So it was like this big aha. Hey, this is fun. Uh, how long you've been doing that? It was it was more than an icebreaker. It was, it was that socialization. Absolutely, and and I think you're you're right. There, especially when it's a group of strangers, right, and or people that don't know each other very well. So that works very well. So Henry, let me let me kind of ask you this question. We're going to go a little bit negative here, I guess you would say. Um, what mistakes have you seen people make over the years when it comes to uh, these virtual meetings. What uh, what problems do people run into, or what could we learn from that? One mistake that I see is that the meeting hosts they really limit them to just one or two or three video conferencing tools. And as you just said before, the more variety of tools, the better. And what I've said before is there's more tools to uncover that maybe we don't even know exist. So if we put that together. Um, we can overcome that mistake. Another mistake is that meeting hosts oftentimes do not get out of their comfort zone. They really do not expand their skills, which kind of goes back to uh, they're limiting themselves to just one or two or three. Another area is, is I like to see more imagination. What would be a great meeting? What would be so cool? Not from your point of view or from corporate's point of view, but from the people who come in, who, right. who we, which really, you know, let's let's take apart that word engage and make it interesting and really right. let that guide us. And then I think there's another way to approach this. There could be a process with a host, co-facilitator, co et cetera. There could be a process where they actually speak to participants well before the meeting or maybe actually over time consistently. You know, what ideas do you have that would make meetings better for you? You know, sure. what holds you back? What, what could be better for our team? So now we're involving in, in kind of like that employee involvement thing. So what I'm hearing you say is, is uh, don't limit yourself to tools. Don't limit yourself to features within certain tools and use your imagination, uh, get, get ideas from people. I love that. <laughs> I love that idea. Like, like, you know, we always use the word engage. Well, what makes people engage if it's interesting? So make it interesting, right? And and ask people what they think is. That's going to be interesting. So right. you know, I love that. It's, you, you could definitely see you could get stuck down that one path and, and not realize that there's a bunch of other stuff out there. So real, real good insight there. You know, I, I've worked in environments where the, the, the content holder is really great giving their lecturettes and explaining things, yeah. but they're weak in asking questions. So sometimes they determine the questions and sometimes the co-facilitator has the role of asking the questions, whether it's, you know, verbal or through the system. Yeah. Um, and, and so now they're working in tandem 
so now there can be a listen, you know, questions listening. Are we really listening? Well, we have covered a lot of ground here today, Henry. I definitely appreciate your time uh, and joining us today. You, you have any any closing thoughts? Anything you'd like to 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 wrap it up with that uh, we could reflect yeah. on? Thanks. I, I'll, I'll I'll just be kind of brief here, and um, we all know that achievement of great things takes many factors, right? So when I think about great virtual meetings and virtual training classes, here's six items um, on my closing thoughts. First, and this is a bit of a review. First, know your purpose, objectives, and your audience. Second, know the capabilities of the software and technology you will be using, you know, so you can really optimize its power. Three, design your virtual meeting based on the objectives and knowing the full capabilities. So now we're back to architecture and design based on the tools you have. Four, and, and, you know, Chris, we've spoken before, you know, my emphasis on practice, you know, it's practice, 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 Um, you know, practice using that iron, nine iron, practice shooting your file shots, practice using the new polling techniques. Yeah. And, And at least for me, Sometimes I talk too much when I should be listening more, you know, as a facilitator or the SME. And then six, I'm a believer that because this is, meetings are here with us, virtual meetings are here with us. There's so much, why aren't we setting up centers of influence in our organizations, either in a department or throughout an enterprise where people can come together with, with some level of focus or informal to, to begin sharing, quote, great practices, what works, what doesn't work. And you build in your own company a body of knowledge. Who's really expert at this? Um, we can harness the talent throughout an organization through a center of influence. Great, great, great recap uh, of our conversation today. Now, Henry, if people wanted to find out more information about you, uh, maybe download your book, uh, that type of thing. Where can they where can they get more information about you? Thanks. I've got a website. It's lessdriving.org, and you can leave a message for me there. You'll see some information on the latest book, um, which is at Amazon as an ebook. And um, and what is what is the name of the book? How to achieve virtual meeting effectiveness: skills training for online virtual meetings. Fantastic. So that is right up the alley of what we talked about today. So uh, we'd encourage people to, to check that out. And you're saying your website is lessdriving.org, right? Yes, it is. Thank lessdriving.org. you. Lessdriving.org. Very uh, appropriate name as well. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Henry. Well, you can certainly tell that Henry knows his stuff and has uh, definitely conducted one or two virtual meetings in his day. So what are some of the great practices that we can glean from this episode? Well, if we find that we're going to have a long session, maybe it's a virtual training session or a virtual planning session that'll take hours or maybe even up to a day, sit down and map out what that in-person experience would be like, and then convert that to as many virtual counterparts as possible. You may not be able to translate everything that you would do in person to being virtual, but you'll probably get 80 to 90% of the way there. Map out how the whole event will flow and be sure to leverage the roles of the producer, making sure that everything is set up and running smoothly, 
the facilitator, really that's kind of the face of the meeting that keeps people engaged, also known as interested, and the co-facilitator, partnering with the facilitator behind the scenes to make sure that uh, nothing is getting dropped between the cracks, people's questions are getting answered and needs are being taken care of. I love that idea of not over-architecting your meeting or designing it into something that couldn't possibly be delivered without some full-blown Hollywood production company. So that's a great lesson to learn there as well. And learn from the mistake of others. Don't limit ourselves just to one or two technologies. You know, there's many different virtual tools that are out there, and they do slightly different things for slightly different audiences. I saw one recently. It's kind of like... um, set up like tables and you can choose which table you want to sit at and uh, have conversations there. So don't limit yourself to just Zoom or Teams. See what else is out there. Dig deep into the features of each tool, not just being on the surface of starting up a video, but really get into the annotation and what other options do they have that we could really make the meetings a little more interesting. And use our imagination to make these virtual meetings engaging, also known as fun and interesting. So again, we appreciate Henry being on today and sharing some of those great practices with us. Now, do you have a great practice you want to share? Jump on to thepmoleader.com, click on Community, then Great Practices, and scroll down to the bottom. Submit your name and idea, and someone will get back with you shortly. So thanks again for listening to this episode and keep putting great practices into practice.